I didn't write no song about a cow, but now what about a cow that you could possibly like? Well, there's steaks, there's milk. Why not write about a cow? No one is written by it. Why not write about a cow? Rufus Thomas wrote one of the all-time great songs about food, the funky chicken. In his memory, we present to you Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a food satire show, sometimes intentionally. We'll play songs about food, but we'll also talk to real restaurant owners and look at food in culture. And if we're ever boring, you get your money back. It doesn't cost a thing to tune into Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Pandora's Lunchbox every Thursday evening at 6.30. This statement not evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Everybody gets a sandwich sometime and a piece of cake and ice cream if they're nice. You know, having my son Christopher is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Watching him grow up, changing from a baby to a little boy. Every day it's something new, which makes his asthma, well, there's just nothing harder than seeing this little person that you love so much, so much, just watching him fight for every breath. I'm telling you, I've spent more nights than I care to remember sitting in those hard plastic chairs at the emergency room. And I'm not alone. Lots of other mothers and fathers know exactly how terrifying this can be. The American Lung Association is fighting to help kids like my Christopher stay out of the emergency room and in school where they belong. The Lung Association is working to find a cure for asthma. Until they do, they're helping millions of children with asthma and their families learn to lead healthy lives. Join me in the fight. Don't let asthma rob another childhood. Call 1-800-LUNG-USA. Brought to you by your local American Lung Association. It's 4.30 on WCBN, which means that just, just about does it for me. Last song you heard was Legends, The Legends, I'll Come Again, for that Mohawk and the Rednecks with Enchanted Forest. Leon Chapel, I'm a do-right daddy. Betty Swan, don't touch me. Roy and the Dewdrops, that I'm gonna hurt you. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band, who will be appearing at the Detroit Jazz Fest on Monday, September 4th. My feet can't fail me now for that big day with Mama's Place. Alan Toussaint with Yes We Can. And the top of that set was the Hollywood Persuaders, the drums of go-go. Stay tuned for Living Writers coming up next.
Hey, you. Yeah. Come here. Come here for a minute. No, come here. It's okay. It's okay. I got something to tell you. Yeah. No, no, no. It's cool. Hey, listen. You new here? Uh-huh. You new here, huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where are you from? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, listen. You know what's going on around here? You don't. You don't. Yeah. That's sure. Because ain't nothing going on. Ain't nothing. Uh-uh. Nothing going on around here. Nothing. Unless you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3. That's the only thing happening here. The only thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, we'll see you, kid. Yeah, take care. Take care, yeah. Hey. Hey, kid. Kid. Look out. Look out. Look out. Oh. 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 oh, tune in next week. are listening to Living Writers here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It is 4.38. That seems a bit late. Wait a minute, rhymes. And today we are replaying an interview that was done a couple of years ago by former host Sarah Rubin with the author R.L. Stein. Um, it fits so well with our young adult fiction series that we just couldn't resist. Plus, he's a pretty cool guy. So coming up in just a minute, the first installment of the interview um, with R.L. Stein, again done by Sarah Rubin. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. All right. You were ready for that one. I could tell. That was good. That was fun. Hey, by the way, when I had my eyes closed, I started thinking about something just for a minute there. I started thinking, would it be all right if I did a scary song for you? Would it be all right? Okay, now this is a kind of a scary song, as I say, and I'm going to need your help on this song. Because I had my eyes closed, that, I was remembering that I wrote this song in the middle of the night when it was very dark. So I need you to do three things. First, this is a very quiet song, so I need you to be very quiet for it. Second thing is, I need everybody to close your eyes at the beginning of the song. I'm going to close mine too, but we're going to open them in the middle of the song, so you get ready. Here we go. Okay, right, close your eyes now. <clears throat> All right, are your eyes closed? Good. I can't tell because, of course, my eyes are closed. Okay. Now, the third thing I need you to do is use your imaginations on this song. This song is called When the Goblins Come. Now, if I say goblins a little bit loud in this song, you go ahead and yell out. It'll make you feel, if it makes you feel better. Here we go. When the goblins Sorry. Late in the black of the night Long after playing In the past day's sun So many hours from the lights Now last night while sleeping 
At half past one, I opened, everybody open your eyes, in the dark. For outside my door I heard the goblins come. Sorry. And I heard my old dog Sam bark, bark. Need your help on this barking. Here we go. Then a tap, tap, tapping outside my door. And I bundled up in a pile. Oh, no, don't open the door. And as it slowly opened, I stared in surprise. For there stood a goblin. With a smile. Hi, I'm a goblin. And I have come to tell you that your dog makes too much noise. Thank you. All right. Many types of writers. And today we have a guest on the Living Writers Show who writes children's books. His name is R.L. Stein, and he is the number one best-selling children's author in history. He has put out movies. He has put out a series of books called Goosebumps for, I believe, middle school children. He has put out a book or a series for older children called the Fear Street series. He started out as a humor writer and made a shift, I believe, sometime in the early 90s to scary writing. And before he was R.L. Stein, he was Jovial Bob Stein, writing jokes and other types of comedy for children. He also worked on the Nickelodeon program Eureka's Castle for a decade as the head writer. He edited the children's magazine um, Bananas. He... Also, this man's been everywhere, really. Uh, And he published, I think, with his wife, some ten books of jokes and stories. So it wasn't until the 90s that he was catapulted to fame. Um, He penned Goosebumps. He is on tour for his series Mostly Ghostly, which is his newest and only series to base itself on a single character instead of a series of different characters. And Mostly Ghostly is um, entirely moved around or centered around one single protagonist, Max. So, Bob Stein, you are touring right now for Mostly Ghostly, your new series. That's right. And when did you make the decision to shift from the Goosebumps? Are you done with Goosebumps? Oh, yes. I've been done with Goosebumps for about three or four years. You know, I wrote 87 Goosebumps books. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's a lot for a human, right? 
Yeah, but especially for a human, that's many yes, books. Yes, I know. That's a lot of books. And I thought maybe it's time for a change. And that's why I started thinking about a new series, and we came up with Mostly Ghostly. Who's we? Um, a whole bunch of people. Mainly the idea, I have to tell you, came from kids. I travel a lot, and I visit a lot of schools, and wherever I go, I always say, have any of you ever seen a real ghost? Mm-hmm. Sarah, you would be amazed at how many kids raise their hands and say they've seen ghosts. They all know where the haunted houses are in their town. One girl told me that a ghost follows her home after school every day. Oh, goodness. That's, that's kind of creepy. And they, all, they were all really into ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, well, maybe I should do a series that has a lot of ghosts in it. And so you're sort of finding what you want directly from the source, you know? Yes, they help a lot. You can ask them, and they'll, that's easy, huh? <laughs> so you tour, and you've been participating in lots of literacy projects. Uh, yes, I have. I, you know, I tour a lot. I love going out and talking to uh, kids, and I love going to schools and uh, telling them about the new books and talking about them. Also, I spy on them. How do you spy? Because I have to know, when I'm, if I'm writing about like Max in Mostly Ghostly, mm-hmm. he's 11 years old. So you need to know what 11-year-olds so do. I need to know do. how 11-year-olds talk these days and what they look like and what they wear. So I have to do a lot of spying on kids. How, how do you spy, though? I just, you know, by checking them out when I go to schools mm-hmm. and when I do bookstores. You observe carefully like the 11-year-old demographic. Right. And, okay, let's talk about, for a moment, how you got your start as a writer. Well, it's kind of hard to say. I, You know, I knew that I wanted to be a writer when I was nine years old. You got a I, typewriter. I was a weird kid. Mm-hmm. There I was in my room, typing away. My mother begging me to go outside and play. To go outside, what's wrong with you? I'd say, I can't, I'm writing a novel. Did you write novels when you were nine? I wrote all kinds of little joke books and little comic books, and I did little short stories. And, you know, I was funny for years. After college, I moved to New York to be a writer Mm -hmm. and started getting a lot of magazine jobs and doing a lot of writing, and I ended up doing uh, children's books. I've been writing for kids now for over 30 years. And what prompted the shift to children's literature? You just sort of, I just sort of stumbled into it, and then I really loved it. And I discovered that kids are this amazing audience. Uh, my, you know, my age group, like the Mostly Ghostly books, my new series, is aimed at 7 to 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And this is like the last age where they're going to be really enthusiastic, and they're going to write to you, and they're going to love your books. It's a great audience. You get something like 2,000 letters yeah. a week, mm-hmm. I heard? Well, I did. You know, at the height of Goosebumps, mm-hmm. I got like 2,000 letters a week. It was amazing. And you responded to all of them, or at least everyone Oh, yeah, we them. answered every letter. I don't, I don't get quite that many now, but um, uh, the mail is incredible, and the kids are just great. You worked on the Nickelodeon program Eureka's Castle. Yes, I did. I was the head writer. That was my whole TV career. It was a decade, though, wasn't it? It was a wonderful show. It was sort of like Sesame Street with puppets, except we didn't teach the kids anything. It was great. (laughs) great. (laughs) No educational value. 
did you create the premise for the show, or did they hire you as a writer no, after? No, actually, they already had the premise for the show, but I created some of the characters, and I, of course, developed them because I had a writing staff, and I, I developed all the characters on the show. That was a lot of fun. How does writing characters for a television series differ from writing characters for novels or books? Um, it's totally different. Television is such a collaborative art. And, you're, you know, when I write my mostly ghostly books and new series, I'm home by myself. I'm writing. But when you write for television, you have so many other people who are involved in the process. And we used to have, like, script meetings with 30 or 40 people every week. And when you write a book, you're all by yourself. I'm home with my dog. Is there a way that you prefer? Um, I love what I'm doing now. I love writing books, and obviously I keep going. I've written about 300 books for kids so far. So that's what I really love. That's a lot of books. How do you stay inspired to keep I, you writing? You know, the kids just keep me going. I mean, I love it. I've, you know, since I was nine, I, this is what I do. I love doing it. And when you have the kind of, you know, wonderful reaction and response that I've had, it's very exhilarating, and it keeps you going. And I keep trying new things. I'll tell you something about the new Mostly Ghostly series. This is the first series I've ever done that has continuing characters. Max is in all of them. Max, and, and the two you know, ghosts. Max is this 11 year old boy, and he's haunted. He has two ghosts living in his room, and he's the only one who can see or hear them. And they say, uh, We're going to haunt you forever unless you help us find our parents. So he's stuck with these two ghosts in his room. And I'm, you know, con the story continues from book to book. The first two books just came out. The first one is called Who Let the Ghosts Out? And the second one is called Have You Met My Ghoul Friend? You really like those puns, huh? I'm, yeah, I'm good with titles. Mm -hmm. I, like, I like the titles. And I, but I, as I say, I'm very excited to have a series where I don't have to start all over again every single uh, book. Was it difficult to reconceive characters again and again? Because I feel like at your height you were writing a Fierce Street and a Goosebumps a month, so that's so many characters. Oh, I was. I don't know, you know, how did I ever keep them straight? I don't know. I think sometimes I probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they all probably ended up in each other's books. Are there specific people that your characters are based on? Not really. But uh, this is something my wife pointed out that I never would have realized. Max has an older brother mm -hmm. named Colin. And Colin is an uh, enormous bully. He's horrible to Max. And he's always pounding him. And Max is into magic and magic tricks. Mm -hmm. One day Colin comes in and he says, I'll show you a magic trick. I'll show you how to make your skin turn red. And then he, you know, beats him up. Uh-huh. So he's, he's horrible to him. It's kind of, it's meant to be funny mm -hmm. in the books. But I have a younger brother. When I was a kid, he was three years younger than me, and I was a terrible bully to him. And I'm not quite like Colin. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> like that. But I was, you know, very mean. So I was Colin. But at the same time, Max is this very fearful kid who's afraid of a lot of things and not very brave and gets out of jams with a lot of wisecracks. And that was me, too. So I'm actually both characters, which my wife pointed out. I never would have realized it. 
So you can sort of psychoanalyze yourself through your literature. Well, she could. I yeah. could. <laughs> and your wife, her name is Jane. Uh-huh. She works for the Parachute Press. She owns a company called Parachute Press, mm-hmm. and Jane is also my editor. That works out Married to my editor. We work together on all the books. We have a great time. And does she help you come up with ideas for the books, or do you think of them and then run them by her? No, I come up with the ideas, but she she makes them make sense. Okay. That's the important part. They don't always make sense. (laughs) (laughs) What is the exact function of the Parachute Press? Parachute Press, they are uh, independent book packagers. Okay. So what they do is they come up with all kinds of ideas for all kinds of book series, and then they present them to big publishers. And then they get a contract from the publishers, and then they do the books for them. And how long have you collaborated with your wife on your work? Oh, forever. For a long, you know, 30 years. Since you've been writing children's literature. Mm-hmm. Although... Okay. Sorry to jump around so That's much. That's okay. I, I'm following you. You're, I'm keeping up. You're doing a good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> In my nightmare, everything's wrong. Yeah. 
are listening to Living Writers here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Molly, and today we are listening to an interview that was done a couple of years ago by former host Sarah Rubin um, with author R.L. Stein of Goosebumps, Fear Street, and Eureka's Castle of Fame. Right now it's time for the second part of the interview. Be sure to stay tuned for that and more. Also, if you have any specific requests for monster or ghost songs, you know, I've got a, got a few extra minutes after this interview's done. Feel free to give us a call, 763-3500. Well, you know, party like it's Halloween. You started out with humor fiction, but it was for children also. Yes, I wrote joke books for kids. Mm-hmm. I was Jovial Bob Stein. And I wrote a hundred joke books, maybe, and funny books. My very first book was called How to Be Funny. And I was funny for a long time. And I did okay with it. But the first time I wrote a scary book, it was a, a horror novel for teenagers called Blind Date. It was an immediate bestseller. And I realized, you know, forget the funny stuff. I realized I had struck a chord with kids. They like these scary stuff, and I've been scary ever since. Now, how did you realize how to tap into a specific age group? What ideas, what concepts, what vocabulary would be appropriate? That's that's the hard part of the job. You have to really learn your audience. I mean, I'm very serious about it. When I say that I spy on kids and um, I, you know, keep up with uh, their pop culture and keep up with everything. That's the hard part of the job. Your kids have to be real. Now, I was very lucky. For a long part of the time, my son was the right age. Mm-hmm. So I had him and his friends in the apartment all the time, and I could, you know, they were very helpful to me. But also it comes with, you know, after you do it for a while, and you figure out what works and what doesn't work, and you get, you get to know your audience. And that's my basic level, you know, 10 years old. I never went too much higher, I don't think. Although those recommended reading ages for, for example, I think Goosebumps is 8 to 12, and Fear Street was older and mostly mm-hmm. ghostly is younger? No, it's, it's, it's 7 to 11. Okay. Those things are, you know, they're very hard to judge. How are they decided? Who decides? I have no idea. People I honestly couldn't it. tell you. Do you ever? The publishers have some way of, of knowing it. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get flack for being too scary? No, never. I don't. I've never had, you know, kids. I, I don't. I don't get in trouble for that. In fact, most times my editors are saying, Bob, make it scarier. Hype this up here. Make this part scarier. Because I'm pretty concerned. You know, I don't really want to terrify kids. <laughs> it's not really <laughs> what I think my job is. We just want to get them to, you know, entertain them and show them that books can be very entertaining and get kids to read. Do you ever think about, now I think about this because your writing, I think, began for my specific 20-something age group. And we're sort of the first group out that was raised on R.L. Stein literature, you know. And it's really interesting to think about the effect that there is on you know the formative years of these kids. They, I know. It's, it's, well, it's been wonderful. I, you know, so many parents have come to me and teachers say, thank you for getting the kids to read. Yeah. Thank you for getting them to read. Well, it's very interesting for me now when I do book signings, and I have all these 9, 10, 11-year-olds who come to my book signings, 
Um, also, I get 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds. They come, too. And I always say, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> they say, oh, we loved you when we were kids. So I've actually been trying to grow with my audience, and I've written a couple adult thrillers for 20-somethings. Didn't you just write The Sitter? I, last year, I wrote a, a paperback novel called The Sitter, which is about a young woman in her 20s who becomes a nanny out in the Hamptons in Long Island. And this year, just a few weeks ago, my newest adult thriller came out in paperback. It's called Eye Candy. What's Eye Candy about? It's about a beautiful young blonde woman mm -hmm. who starts dating on the Internet. And she's dating four different guys, and she gets a note that says... Just keep saying yes to me. Don't ever say no or I'll kill you. Oh, that's and so creepy. She, yes, and she doesn't know which one of the four it is, so she has to keep saying yes to all four of them. Now, how it's, do you... Can, it's good, right? It's good. I, it scares yeah. me. So this is my attempt, you know, to keep up with my original readers, mm -hmm. and I, I hope they enjoy it. Is it hard, do you feel, that you spread yourself too thin because you've got so many projects going I you know I you know I'm a very I'm lucky I'm a very fast writer and I work very hard I treat it as a full-time job mm -hmm. I write every single day and uh no I I'm very pleased with the way things are going I'm very pleased with mostly ghostly it's off to a really good start and I I hope kids are going to like this new series Now do you have a goal or some place that you see yourself going with all of this literature that you're creating, is there a purpose in the back of your head? No, just, you know, to keep on getting kids to read. And uh, I'll keep writing as long as they keep reading them and as long as I keep enjoying doing it. Since you were nine, huh? And <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a long time it is to be a long, typing. Yes. Typing, it's a lot of typing. And but I've had so much fun. I mean, it's been great. How do you make sure that the stories are scary? When you switched from, you know, the, the humor to the macabre, how did you make sure that your stories would resonate as scary stories? How do you find scary stories? Well, you know, I do a lot of things that everybody finds scary and, you know, dark, dark streets and strange sounds and creepy old houses. I, the main thing about my books is they're filled with surprises. When I read a book... I don't want it to be linear at all. I don't want it to go in a straight line and mm -hmm. be able to predict what happens next. And the same as when I write a book. I really try to put in a lot of shocks and a lot of twists so kids can't guess the ending and they can't guess where it's going. And I think that's kind of that's what, that's what kids, even more than the scariness, kids like the teasing quality of the books. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're being it's sort of like I always compare it to a roller coaster ride. You go this way and then you go that way, and you don't really know what's coming next. And uh, that's what I try to do. Can you give me an example of a, a shock or a twist, something that would seem. Well, I, no, there's so many in every book. And, in, you know, like in Mostly Ghostly, as in Goosebumps, every chapter ends in a surprise, every chapter ends in some kind of cliffhanger. Is that hard to do? I feel like it would be such a difficult thing to keep creating that, that's surprises. That's the fun part for me. I mean, that's a challenge to be, you know, keep coming up with new kinds of surprises. That's the real challenge for me now is to come up with new kinds of surprises and new scares, new ways to scare. 
do you find that just by existing, you're you're noticing things that can be scary? For example, going out to dinner, or do you keep an eye out when you're not writing? Well, I think about it a lot. I mean, that you know, this the hardest question to answer is the question I think that every writer is asked the most, and that's where do you get your ideas? Mm-hmm. And I I can't I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> it's very mysterious, don't you think? I mean, where do you get your ideas? Divine inspiration. <laughs> yes. You don't, you know, I always tell kids, I mean, a lot of my ideas come from thinking up good book titles. And you go I, from I there. I think of the title first. I come up with a really good title, Who Let the Ghosts Out? And then I start thinking, well, what if there were these ghosts, these evil ghosts, and somebody helped them escape from somewhere? And what if they, you know, and I just... I, I build on it that way. I start with. I think I work backwards from most authors. Mm-hmm. And most authors get a nice story idea. They start to write, and later they think of the title. But I usually start with the title. It's funny because I know that some poems are begun that way. Writers will think of a title because it's a shorter piece. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but as to where ideas come from, yeah. I mean, that's just it's very mysterious. I have to say, kids always say, well, do you get them in dreams? Do you have nightmares? And do you wake up with story? I, that's never happened to me. I have the most boring dreams. I have <laughs> nothing interesting ever. I mean, one night I dreamed I was eating a Snickers bar. You're from Ohio. Maybe that's it. <laughs> and you think that's it? <laughs> I have such boring dreams. All the farmland down there. <laughs> I, I'm I did not my- live on a farm. <laughs> Um, it's just your background scenery, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot. I'm talking in Michigan. Yeah, we're we're not. Much. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um, how did you get involved? You started some multimedia uh, experiences for the kids. For example, kids can open up a Goosebumps, and there's sound chips now. Or mm-hmm. there's yeah, a, we did a, a lot website. of that kind of thing, blinking eyes, and that kind. Of, yeah, it was just funny gimmicks. We did everything you can do with Goosebumps. And we had a wonderful TV show for four years, and um, which is, you know, it's still available on DVD. And I, I did another book series called The Nightmare Room. I did 15 of those books, and we mm-hmm. had a really nice TV series for one season based on The Nightmare Room. And there was also a website that corresponded. Yeah, that's right. And there's also a really nifty website for Mostly Ghostly. And it's, what is uh, it? It's MostlyGhostly.net. Okay. And it's very cool. What's there? Um, you, previews of the books, uh, all kinds of quizzes, some games, some really good games to play. It's very nifty. Information about me, you know, for their book reports. Mm-hmm. Is it exciting to think that kids across the world are doing book reports on you? It's very strange. Sometimes they bring them in, you know, to show me at book signs. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. You Many are, types of writers. Sorry. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, where I just can't keep my interview segment straight. My name is Molly, and we are today listening to an interview with R.L. Stein, which was done by uh, Sarah Rubin, a host of the show a couple of years ago. Um, and... That's I guess all you need to know right now. Um, play a little bit of music centered around, you know, 
the theme of scary stories or not so scary stories. This is Thriller, obviously. Had to play that. Um, we've also heard some Dan Crow and Richard Thompson, if you were wondering.
taste of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. So stay tuned for that here on WCBNFM Ann Arbor. Free Speech Radio News is coming up at 5:30. And and the accolades. I hate to bring it up because I I would not I would not want <laughs> to embarrass you. Really? <laughs> or or draw too much attention to that. But I think it's definitely an aspect of. R.L. Stein, you know, the author, as the number one best-selling children's writer ever in history. Does that just astonish you? Yes, it certainly does. None of us ever planned on it. Yeah. You know, and it took me 25, I wrote for 25 years, nobody noticed. And then everybody noticed. And then suddenly here was this amazing thing. You know, all over the world. It's and and you know, it wasn't advertising. It wasn't publicity. I didn't do any touring in those days. I never went anywhere. I stayed home and wrote books. And it was a secret kids network of kids telling kids about it. You just that's struck all up it the was. right chord, though. This amazing thing of kids just just word of mouth from kid to kid. Adults didn't know about it. It was just kids. Very powerful thing. I remember. I'm 23. We're going to reminisce. Uh, so you're me. younger than my son. Mm. My son is 24. And you know my son's claim to fame, by the way? What's his claim to fame? He never read one of my books. No. Yeah, it's true. Really? Isn't that awful? That's awful. I know. Do you think just, that's really true? I don't believe that. Just crazy. And it worked. And it and it worked. <laughs> Did you base any of your child protagonists off of your son, Matthew? I made him the star of a fe- of a Fear Street novel mm-hmm. called um, F- First Date. Mm-hmm. No, what was it? Oh, the the Perfect Date. It was a vampire novel, and I got back at him because in the very last paragraph he gets bit in the neck. Uh oh. <laughs> so I paid him back, and he didn't even read that one. He didn't even read that. I don't no, understand that. No, he didn't even that. read the one about him. Not even now. Not Isn't even that he's terrible? older. With no, the he didn't read anything. And uh. then he read only Garfield comics. My son. That's all he ever read. Garfield comics. And then he went off to college, and he was an English major. See, it was there all and the he read time. Everything. Ah. Go figure. Go figure. Right. 
so right now there's a movie in the works for you from The Sitter. No. Is this, or, no, I can't talk about that. Oh, okay. No, we're working on it. You know, you always yeah. try to get movies. We mm -hmm. try to do something on Mostly Ghostly. My movie that's playing, I have a great movie that's playing at two SeaWorld parks and two Busch Gardens parks. It's a 4D movie, and it's called R.L. Stein's Haunted Lighthouse. How do you do 4D? 4D. It's you walk in, you sit down, you put on the glasses, and this 3D movie comes on. It's great 3D. It looks terrific. And then a wave comes up, and you get splashed. You get wet. Okay, so there's the, the touch right there. Right. That's 4D. Did you think right. of this yourself, or was it a collaborative effort as well? Oh, sure. It was a collaborative effort. I wrote the story for it. We have uh, Christopher Lloyd is in it, and Michael McKeon, and Leah Thompson, and Weird Al. It's really fun. It's a nice, you know, 20-minute movie, and you come out totally drenched. Did you have ideas? When, when you write, do you see actual physical people as your characters? I, yeah, I try to visualize them as much as I can, sure. So did you see, like, a Christopher Lloyd? He, well, uh, yes, I did. He was perfect. He was perfect. He was perfect. So that's playing at, you know, at four parks. So that's very exciting for me in these huge theaters, 3D theaters. Now, it seems to me like you've really utilized the different ways that technology can get through to your audience. You've got the computer, you've got the television, the book, and the film. Do you have future plans for you know, intertwining the, the different medias or... I don't, I don't really know what you mean. Okay. Do you... I don't <laughs> My plan is to write some more Mostly Ghostlies. I'm signed up to do eight and to travel around and tell kids about it. I'm going to be in, um, in Michigan real soon mm -hmm. next, uh, next week. On the 25th. Yes, on the 25th. And Monday, I'm mm -hmm. going to be at uh, Borders Arborland telling kids about Mostly Ghostly, and I'm going to write a ghost story with them. And I hope all my readers come out, and um, I hope to see everybody. And you also visit the classrooms of the students. I try to. I try to do as many school visits as possible and, you know, speak in the auditorium. And we have a lot of fun. I answer their questions. And their big question, kids' big question is, what does RL stand for? And they expect something really scary or something funny or something. And it's just my name, yeah. Robert Lawrence. When did you make the decision to be R.L. and not Robert Lawrence? Well, I, you know, I was Jovial or Bob jovial. for years. Yeah, I didn't think that would be too appropriate for scary books. Mm -mm. So I used my initials. That's my serious name. It is a little scary because you don't know what's behind them. I guess. And one last question for yes. you before we wrap this up. What are you going to be and what are you going to do this Halloween? <laughs> Actually, I'm doing an appearance on Halloween, and so I'm going to be me. Oh. And but we have fun. I, you know, in our you can be apartment scary, building, I'm sure, or funny. <clears throat> I drag out the skeleton that I have in my office, mm -hmm. and we give out candy and books. I always give out a lot of books at Halloween time, so that's fun. Are there specific people that know to come see you for a book? Are you known for distributing books on Halloween? Like some, some houses are known because they give cupcakes or some houses no, see, are known for bad This doesn't work because candy. in New York, Halloween is very different. Mm -hmm. And the way trick-or-treating works is at a specific time, like 7 o'clock at night, all the kids in our building 
they all go up to the very top floor of the building, mm -hmm. and they come down the back stairs, and they go to all the apartments, all the kids in the building, all at one time. <laughs> so they all come, they like knock on the back door, they all come running into your apartment, running into your apartment, you give them all the candy, you give them books, and, and then they go on to the next apartment, and it's done, that's it, Halloween's over. That's it lasts so about short. five minutes. So no one else can come, you know, I'm on the 11th floor. When you write about Halloween, then you must be writing about the Midwestern I'm about Halloween. My childhood in Ohio. Yes. Yes. The suburban neighborhood Halloween, the door to door yes, that, Halloween. Right, but you know, almost all of my books take place back in Ohio. The setting, I mean, all the Goosebumps books, they're all suburban. Mm -hmm. They're all, I've never written one about New York City ever. I never write about New York City, except in my adult books. Do you think you would make the switch to New York City for your children's book, or are you? No, I wouldn't do Ohio. it because it's so atypical. I want kids, when you write scary stuff, you want to have it right in their kitchen, right in their backyard. You want something terrifying happening, right where they can identify it. I don't, most kids don't live in New York City. Mm -hmm. You know, most of my readers are, have like a suburban uh, um, background. So that it, they would so identify I try to set easily. it where they will recognize it and say, oh my God, that could happen in my backyard. But this way, do you think the New York kitties, New York kitty city kids, the New York City kids, are? Do you think they have trouble relating, or you no, know? No, not really, because it's what they see on television and in movies all the time. So they they know that's what it's like for the normal. Well, I think so. Quote unquote normal. When my kids. son was really little, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he was doing the drawing in school, he was like in kindergarten or first grade, and they had them, you know, draw a house. Remember how we all used to draw a house yeah. when we were kids? It would be like this little square, and there'd be a door in it, and there'd be a window, and maybe a pointy roof, you know, those drawings? Mm -hmm. Well, my son brought home his drawing of a house, right? Yeah. And it was this tall, skinny building with windows, 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 all the way down it. That was his idea of a house. It was an apartment building. Uh did he grow up in an apartment building? Yes, of well, course. He's there, a New York City kid. There you go. Yep. Oh, I was under the impression that you were in Columbus until recently. I was in Columbus my first 22 years. I went to Ohio State, mm -hmm. and as soon as I graduated, I moved to New York. And haven't gone back. And I go back to visit. Mm -hmm. But not to live. And I know not to live. I love New York, and mm -hmm. uh, you know I love it there. So you go back for your book tours, too. I go back for various things. Uh, back in my hometown uh, in Columbus, um, I have these R.L. Stein writing workshops in all the uh, elementary schools and the junior high that I sponsor, and I go back sometimes for that. And does that is that some type of way to engage the children to write? Well, it's, it's for all those kids who want to write and want to learn about writing. And we have professional writers come into the schools for two weeks for like an intensive period and work with those kids who like, who like to write. So I'm, I'm very proud of That's that. That's wonderful. You should be. And you also toured with, uh, I believe, Laura Bush or are part of her literacy Well, I program? didn't know I did not tour with her. I, uh, okay. I, she invited me last year to uh, go to Russia. <laughs> With a couple other authors, and the three, there were three of us. Uh, Mrs. Putin over in Moscow was having a children's book festival. Oh, my goodness. And so she uh, invited us to go over. It was a very exciting trip. Went over on her plane and got to meet Mr. and Mrs. Putin. 
and I got to speak to Russian children, which was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my books are really popular over there in Russian, especially the uh, Fear Street books. So now you're also a, a cultural ambassador as well as a writer. Yeah, I didn't mean to be, but it was a great trip. Just turned out that way. And you worked with Jeb Bush in Florida, too. On Yes, right, right. I don't really want to talk about the Bushes that much. Okay, but yep. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'll, if it's for literacy, if it's something for kids and reading, I'll be there no matter who it is. I think that's a great standpoint. And you are speaking to a very liberal co-radio station and radio station host. Well, I'm glad. So, I don't, you know, I don't want you to say that I tour with the Bushes. Okay. <laughs> that would not, that would not be real accurate. It's not my uh, feelings. Okay. Oh, see, I was a little concerned, but uh, yeah, I know. I you don't have to worry. If he does it for the kids, then hey. Anything. But I have to say, I mean, the Bushes, I, you know, whatever you want to say, have been a real friend to literacy and have actually really tried to do a lot with kids and reading. You have to give them that. And it is so important. It is an aspect of it. It is good of you to work with them on that, mm-hmm. I would think. And all right. Well, Bob Stein, do you have any closing comments you would like no, to make? No, I just for... I enjoyed talking to you. Uh, this was terrific. I really enjoyed it. And I hope to see everybody. I hope everyone comes out to Borders, uh, Borders Arborland. And I hope to meet Seven everybody. 7 o'clock on Monday, for those of you who are Monday, listening. Monday, I'll be there. 7 o'clock. No, be... this is an old show. There will not be at Borders on Monday. You'll be signing books, too. And will you be reading from... I'll be speaking. We're going to write a ghost story together. Okay. And I'm going to tell some Halloween ghost stories. It should be fun. And are you are you purposely touring around Halloween time? Always. Always. Every year. This is my time of year. Every <laughs> This is your right? time of year. I know. I'm always out. And we'll give it, you can have it. We'll give, Michigan gives it to you. Oh, thank you very much. Surely. Well, you have an excellent evening, and thank you so much for being a guest oh, on the I Living Oh, I really enjoyed Writers talking Show. to you. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Okay, good luck to you. Bye-bye. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We just heard an interview with R.L. Stein. I would again like to, you guys to note, if you are listening and got a little excited about the appearance at Borders, this is an interview from a couple of years ago. Um, so all of that information is moot. Um, the interview was done by Sarah Rubin, a former host of Living Writers. It's now 528. We've got time for a little bit more music. And then Free Speech Radio News. Thank you for tuning into Living Writers.
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, August 23, 2006. Filling in for Out of Bogado, I'm Mitch Jezerich of Pacifica Station, WBAI in New York. While California agrees to raise the state minimum wage, it may also forfeit on future raises. Official estimates on how much the Senate immigration bill will cost is in dispute, and we'll hear from Free Speech Radio News commentator Mumia Abu-Jamal. I'm Shannon Young with the Free Speech Radio News headlines. A report published today by Amnesty International accuses Israel of committing war crimes by deliberately destroying Lebanese civilian infrastructure. The United Nations Development Program has also released findings today which state that Lebanon's 15-year economic and social recovery from civil war was wiped out in the recent Israeli offensive against Hezbollah. Halidson Mohan reports from Beirut. According to the United Nations Development Program and Amnesty International, a 34-day Israeli offensive destroyed most of Lebanon's civilian infrastructure. Lebanese authorities estimated last week that direct structural damage inflicted by the Israeli bombing reached $3.6 billion, including 30,000 houses, 80 bridges, and 94 roads destroyed or damaged. The bombardment of power and water plants and transport